want to welcome you. So, um, there was a church that the children did the, did the Christmas program every year. And so auditions went out, and this young man wanted the part of Joseph. But he didn't get chose, chosen for that part. He was given the part of the innkeeper. He was really mad. He wanted to be Joseph. And now he's the innkeeper. So he didn't say anything to anybody. He went through all the practices and rehearsals. He followed the script, but he was always trying to think of, what can I do to get back at Joseph? So the night of the play came. Joseph and Mary came to the innkeeper's door and knocked on the door. And he opened the door and said, come on in. There's room for you. And this young Joseph peeked inside and said, my wife would never stay in a dump like that. Let's go to the stable. So, thinking on his feet, good, good response, right? To, <laughs> this kid that he was going to mess up the play. Got back on track after that. Again, I want to welcome you this morning. We're in the middle of a sermon series called The Promise. And so far, we've discovered several promises that have been fulfilled through the Christmas story and the coming of Jesus. First week, Pastor Tony shared a message on the promised hope came in the form of a person. And Jesus meets our deepest longing and is the hope for our present and for our future. If you're sitting there this morning and you're feeling hopeless, Jesus is your hope. And last week, we looked at the promise of peace that was given to the lowly shepherds. There was to be a new government that would come. God was going to establish a new kingdom, and it would bring peace to the world. It wasn't the peace that maybe they were looking for, but it was a peace between God and man and man and God. And today we're looking at the third uh, theme of Advent called joy. I just uh, I want to comment on Christmas. Christmas is really kind of a unique and great time of year. It's a long extended holiday. I mean, the decorations came out before Halloween. It's a holiday with shopping and cooking and decorating and baking and wrapping. It's somewhat a magical time of year with unique lights, sounds, smells, and tastes. And maybe you have a holiday tradition. Maybe you go, sh go uh, shopping together. Maybe you uh, go pick out a tree and cut it down. Maybe you go to the city. Maybe there's certain foods or cookies that you make during this, only during this time of, uh, of the season. It's like we build up to this big wave of emotion and excitement, and then it's over. I know for some this, this morning, it can be a difficult time of year. Maybe you're struggling with something. I would say to the young men that are here today, I mean, Christmas may not be in the place that you want it to be. Maybe you want to be somewhere else and be with some other people. I understand that. And so there's disappointment that sets in. And all, with all this excitement that comes, it can be a time of stress and a time of very strong emotion. Some people wish they could fast forward and skip the holiday altogether. And I believe there's a close relationship between stress and the presence of stress in our life and the amount of joy or absence of joy 
that we experience. And I believe in many ways we need to make a choice to choose joy. In the Jewish Encyclopedia, Kaufman Kohler states that no language has more words than the Hebrew language for joy or rejoicing. There's 27 words in the Old Testament that, that talk about, and the primary uh, focus is on joy or the joy of participation in religious uh, uh, worship. The Hebrew rituals of, of the Old Testament demonstrate that God is the source of, source of joy. And the New Testament stresses it as well. Eight times in the Christmas story we find the word joy. It's actually one of the main themes that comes out of the Christmas story. And when someone finds joy, it's hard to hide it. You ever been excited about something, joyful about something? No matter who you talk to, you're going to weave that conversation to a place where you can share the joy that you're experiencing. You want others to know the joy that's there. It's just our nature to want others to share in the happiness with us. And it's no wonder we find in the scriptures that God is eager to share the joy of Christ's birth, even before the time for him to come was here. So joy isn't something that we keep to ourselves. And we see that in the Christmas story, there's a word called the incarnation, which means Jesus' birth or God coming to earth in human form. It's the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind. And you can almost sense God's excitement for the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love that would come through the arrival of Jesus. Which brings us to our first point. Jesus' birth is a source of true joy. Jesus' birth is a source of true joy. The book of Isaiah speaks of the coming gift. It's a prophetic word that was given hundreds of years before it would actually come to pass. It was about someone who would come and prepare the world for the arrival of Jesus. This passage, like I said, was written hundreds of years before its fulfillment. And it's one of God's joyous promises about the future. Isaiah 43 through 5 says, The voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a path for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God promises that there'll be a time of preparation before Christ. There'll be a time of straightening things out and leveling things, ensuring that the glory of God wouldn't be missed in Jesus and would be made available to all people. It was so interesting. Last Sunday, Tony brought out, Pastor Tony brought out the point about Jesus coming to the shepherds, the lowly shepherds, some of the lowest class citizens on the earth. Yet he chose to reveal the coming of Christ to them. Their word wasn't even valid in court. They couldn't even testify in court. They were kind of a despised group of people. But I believe Jesus came to them and came to them first. Because he wanted his message to be embraced by those that would feel useless and of no value. And when I read these verses, I can see the joy that God has to share with with the world. This world that is broken, broken by sin 
is going to be made right. The truth that, uh, that, that is was to fully enjoy the great event. There always has to be preparation for an event to happen if it's going to be a good event. You know, you look around here and you say, wow, there's some nice decorations. And I really appreciate those that have decorated. They, they really have, a, really have a, a, a great view for that and great ideas. And it comes to pass. But decorating in the church had to start before it actually happened. We had to order the tree. Tree had to be ordered. I don't know if you heard on the news, large trees are in high demand. There's not many available. We always order a tree ahead of time. Now, we went to pick up our tree, the one that they reserved for us. We looked at it, and it's the, uh, it was about this wide at the bottom. We was like, no, that's not going to work for us. It's not gonna, it was actually bigger than this. This is a little smaller than we normally have. But weeks before... We started decorating, the tree had to be reserved. And then we had to pick dates on when the decoration was going to take place because we had to pull all the decorations out. And so there was preparation that went on to make it happen. It's beautiful. But it wasn't something that we just threw together. And God wanted the world to be prepared for Jesus to come. And so preparation precedes the event. And the promise in the Old Testament is that the people of God would see the preparation for Jesus take place. God didn't want anyone to miss it. And so he put signposts along the way to let people know that my son, the Savior, is coming. Any barriers that would be in the way of experiencing God had to be removed so that the miraculous birth and coming of Christ could happen that nothing would stand in the way of the revelation of Christ. We come across a character in the Old Testament named Zechariah. He was a priest who served in the temple. We find him in the temple burning incense and worship to God while the people outside are praying. And we pick up the passage in Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. And it says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the, the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So here's Zechariah. He's serving in the temple doing his priestly duties. And all of a sudden, this angel appears. All right? I don't know about you. I'd be taken back. I'd be taken back. He was startled, the scripture said. He was gripped with fear. But like any interaction with angels, there's, there's different uh, times in the Christmas story where angels appear. And the first thing that they speak 
What comes out of their mouths is don't be afraid. Zechariah had probably had the shakes a little bit. And this angel says, don't be afraid. He comforts him. And apparently Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth had been praying for a child. And their prayers were being answered. They would give birth to a son. And they would name him John. And the angel says, he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. This child would be filled with the Spirit of God, but he must be kept free from wine and fermented drink because he was going to take an oath as a Nazarite. He vowed to serve the Lord the rest of his life. And these, got, these vows kept him from drinking alcohol, cutting his hair, or coming in contact with dead bodies. And clearly this boy was special, and God had plans to use him and to bring joy to his family and actually the entire world by the way that he would live. And because of his life, there would be many who would be brought back to the Lord. And because of his life, he would prepare people for something wonderful that was about to happen. And you can see the connection between Isaiah, uh, the passage in Isaiah and the story in Luke uh, chapter 1. Verse 17 of that chapter says, He will go before him, that's Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts, turn the fathers uh, to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This boy would come and would prepare the people for the arrival of the Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ. John would bring joy to his family and joy to the world because he was the one that said calling in the wilderness and making a way for the arrival of the Son of God. It's interesting that Mary, we'll get to that in a minute, but when, when Mary was pregnant and came to Elizabeth to tell her, the Bible says that John was in the womb and he leaped. Now, I have no idea what it feels like to carry a child, all right? And I don't really want to know. <laughs> I'm not looking to experience that. My wife, we have three biological sons and a few foster sons that we've embraced. But man, when that baby wants to move inside of you and he wants to stick his heel out or his knee out or something, I've felt that. It's like, boom, a bump comes out. That baby's moving, all right? But it says that John in the womb was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he came in contact with Jesus being in Mary's, uh, you know, pregnant, Mary pregnant with Jesus, when, he, when they came in contact together, it says the baby leaped. I can't even imagine. I mean, I mean I, my wife should say, oh, I'm, you know, that, that, that knee's really killing me or that foot's really hurting or whatever. I can't imagine. Imagine a leap taking place, all right? But that was a connection. And John would bring joy, which brings us to our second point. It's a joy to prepare others to experience God. One of the greatest joys of Christmas and the season is the opportunity given to us to prepare the way for others to see Jesus for who he really is. The most joyful people during this time of year are the ones that have experienced the hope and peace of God in their lives. 
because they put their trust in Jesus. The way we speak to others, the way we serve others, and the way we treat others are all uh, a means of preparing the way for others to meet Jesus. I hope at different times in your life you've had that experience where someone just comes up to you randomly and says, like, why are you joyful all the time? What's going on, you know, what's going on in your life? Because I think that it should be evident to others that Christ lives inside of us. And we should treat other people with, the, with, that, with that same value and see them for who God sees them. And this joy we're speaking about today is a commodity that's certainly in short demand in our world. There are people that are around us that are miserable, depressed, hopeless, fear. They're head over heels in their involvement in sin. It's destroying their lives. They're heartbroken over the pain that they're experiencing. And they're, heart, they're, heart, and they're um, hopeless in the face of suffering that they're facing. And now is the time for us to be sharing the joy of the Lord with them. So let me pose two questions to you this morning. What is one way you can sacrificially bring joy to those around you? When you think about your life, ask yourself, how can I bring the joy of the Lord to somebody else? It's not just in the gift that you give, but it's other ways that we can show people that God lives inside of us. And then how is your life, how can it be a beacon of hope because of your love for Jesus? We need to shine out and show others that Christ lives inside of us. And Zechariah's response uh, to the message to him by the angel came with a consequence. When you find that starting in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So this angel delivers a message that they're going to have a child. And he begins to question it. How do I know for sure that this is going to happen? And you know, my wife and I, we're like, we're past childbearing years. How, you know, how's this going to happen? We're advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and, able, and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in time. So... Zechariah is not sure. He's questioning the message that's just been given to him. He's old. And his childbearing years are slim. But because of his unbelief and distrust, the Bible tells us that he was silenced. He wasn't able to speak from that day forward. And he wasn't able to speak until the time that John would come and be born. And even though there was good news of, of God who was coming to us in the flesh to rescue us, many seemed to doubt that that could really happen. Our response should be marked by deep faith and joy. We can trust God and we can share that with others. So now we're going to fast forward to the birth of John. This promised boy, all the family the scriptures tell us gathered together to share in this miraculous birth. And again, I want you to note that Elizabeth was actually a cousin of a woman named Mary. That Mary happened to be the woman who was also pregnant and will soon give birth. John was about six months 
ahead of Jesus. And that son would be called Jesus. John and Jesus are, co are cousins. And from the time they were in their mother's wombs, they were uh, connected by the Spirit of God. So time comes for John to be born into the world. And in Luke 1, starting with verse 57, it says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy on her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, when they came to circumcise the child, uh, and they would, they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to the father, inquiring what he wanted the boy to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosened and he spoke. What did he speak? He blessed God. And fear came to all the neighbors and all those who uh, things were talked about throughout all the, the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid, on, laid up in their hearts saying, What then shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And so we see here from this passage that when this baby was born, there was a discussion that would take place. What are you going to name a child? Usually when we hear somebody's do, we ask them, so, you know, if, once we find out it's a boy or a girl, what are you going to name your child, you know? Um, there's some weird names that are coming out lately. I won't say any because I'll get myself in trouble. But <laughs> everyone expected this boy to be named after his dad. That was kind of the custom of the day. However, both Elizabeth and Zechariah agreed that his name was to be John, just as the angel had told them. John's name in the Greek means graced by God, or Jehovah has been gracious. This name was given to the boy, speaks volumes of the joy that would surround his life. God had been gracious to Elizabeth and Zechariah by giving them a son. And God has been gracious to us through John's life and that the world would be prepared for the coming of the Messiah and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our third point. Our joy comes from the grace of God. The relatives we know from Scripture all celebrated and shared in Elizabeth and Zechariah's joy. John's life was surrounded by joy, and that joy uh, was God's work among them. And so we see in this passage that Zechariah was still able to see, speak, but he writes the name John in agreement. And upon his obedient pronouncement of the boy's name, he once again is able to speak. And his first response is rejoicing. He praises God. It says, blessing God. When word spread throughout John, about John's birth and Zechariah recovered speech, everyone over the Judean countryside were in awe and wondered and what amazing things this boy would do. It says in the scriptures, they ask, what then shall this child be? Of course, we know from scripture that this was John the Baptist. He went on to prepare the way of the Lord. He, he went on to set kind of the, 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 the grounding of Christ's coming. We know he died a martyr's death for speaking truth to the ruling authorities of his day. He stood up for what he knew was right. 
But John was full of the spirit of truth and rejoiced at serving God the Father. The grace that covered John's birth and life is the same grace given to us, free of charge. You could never earn God's grace. It's a gift that's given to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I've heard grace defined as giving us what we don't deserve. I can just speak for myself this morning. If I got what I deserved, I'd be in trouble. But God in his grace, he gives me what I don't deserve. There's no way I can earn it. There's no way I can obtain it. It's a gift that's given, and it's given to every one of us. We should be people whose lives are marked by joy because of this grace that's been given to us. When we live our lives from this place, others will take notice. And from that, we can begin to share the miraculous birth of Christ at Christmas. Are you someone that displays joy? Are you someone who knows the joy that comes at Christmas? Are you someone that rejoices in the face of adversity? How can you bring the joy of Christ to the people around you? And you know, you may be sitting there this morning and I don't know what's happening in your life. Maybe this is a very difficult time for you. I know people, people struggle at Christmas time. The holidays bring all kinds of emotion, sometimes negative. Maybe you're spending a holiday without someone that you'd like to be with. Maybe you lost somebody that you really want to be with. Maybe just things are falling apart in your life and you just don't know what to do. And these are things that, that steal our joy, that rob our joy. So I'm going to give you a real simple formula real quick this morning. This is the end of the message. Some of you said, oh, thank God. No. <laughs> real quick formula. P plus P plus P equals P. Very simple, right? Okay. Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 4 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The first P is praise. It's a vital part of our life. It's a vital part of the believer's life. With praise, uh, without praise, we can be prone to depression and giving in to our circumstances and being controlled by what's going on around us. Praise is a matter of finding God's handprint in everything that happens in our lives. And Paul says in his verse, rejoice. And then he emphasizes it again. And again, I say, rejoice. The second P is po poise. Verse 5 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. One translation says, let your gentleness be known or evident to all. So sandwiched in between, let your reasonableness be known to everyone and do not be anxious about anything. There's a small phrase in there that makes all the difference. It says, the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. The only way 
that we can really deal with some of the stuff that we have to deal with is and have control in our life is to know that God is near. I don't care if you run from God. You can run, but you can't get away. No way. God will pursue you. He's all around you. He's with you. Sandwiched in between, God is near. And if we could ever really begin to live our lives with this concept and idea that God is near, there's not a moment that you're out of his care. There's not a second that he, that he leaves you. He's there. He's closer than the breath that we breathe this morning because he lives inside of us. When we begin to live like that, it can be life-changing and circumstance-changing. The third P is prayer. It says in verse 6, the second part of the verse, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The word prayer comes from an ancient verb that means to tie or to bind to. In essence, when we bow in prayer before God, we're binding ourselves to him. We're, we're pulling him in. We're connecting to him. We're realizing that God is there. And prayer binds us to God. And out of that, we can accept his will, accept his decisions, accept his plans, and accept his directions. He binds us. Prayer binds us to God and his answers and direction. We need an anchor in our life sometimes, you know? It can get stormy out there. It can get rough out there. Life can be difficult. And you know what? We all have things that we have to deal with. There's nobody that's exempt that's sitting in this room. Some of you younger folks would be surprised at some of the circumstances and situations that some of the older folks in this room have been through. Tough things. Life can be hard. Life can be difficult. Life can be painful. But you know what? God says he's with us. And when I take praise and I take poise and I take prayer, it equals peace. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's a peace that's above our circumstances. I know Pastor Tony made reference to this last Sunday, that you could go up to someone and say, how you doing? And well, under the circumstances, you know, God does not want us to live under the circumstances. He wants us to live above the circumstances. Don't let your circumstances pull you down. Ask God to help you through that and let him lift you. Because God's peace, and sometimes, you know, to be honest with you, God's peace doesn't make sense. My life could be going haywire. All kinds of things could be happening. And yet, I can be peaceful. Because it's God's peace. It's not mine. And for the Christian, joy is more than an emotion. Joy is a tool that gives God uh, the opportunity to help us overcome our circumstances, to empower us to rise above our disappointment, and to help us with the pain and the suffering that we face in life. And so I challenge you with this this morning. Choose joy. It's a choice. It's a choice. You and I can choose joy. We can choose to live under our circumstances, or we can choose to trust God to bring us above our circumstances. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you're not feeling it, 
And joy is not about a feeling, I know that. But man, there's no joy in your life. You got to choose joy. Maybe you got to say to yourself, I choose joy. Maybe one that feels like that, you know, that wave is going to hit you. I choose joy. I choose joy. It's a choice that you and I can make. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you this morning for this opportunity to share your word. I thank you for your people. And God, I thank you for the joy that was revealed in the scriptures before Jesus came, that you would uh, bring John alongside and that joy would come out of his life and he would point to the Savior. I thank you for the joy of the grace that you give us in our lives. And Lord, I pray for your people today. Lord, I pray that we would choose joy. And Lord, that we would come to the realization that the joy of the Lord is my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. I just had a thought. One second, Connie. Years ago, I went to church with an older man. His name was John. John was always joyful. And you'd say to him, John, how you doing? The joy of the Lord is my strength. All right? You know the hurricane that hit in Florida recently? John lives down there now. He's 92 years old. And somebody asked him. He was out there serving people and, 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 and going out to see what they needed and help. This guy's got a tremendous amount of energy. Somebody asked him, John, why do you do what you do? He said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And the strength of the Lord is my joy. Man, if we could live our life like that, what a difference we could make in this world. Let's God, let God live through us. Make a choice. Choose joy. God bless you this morning.